Are we ready to go? Some of the great strengths of the Christian faith are hope and assurance about our future, and comfort and faith for our present, and forgiveness and release from our past. So important to know that we're forgiven and we are released from our past. But for many, many people, including many Christians, it seems to be, as far as they're concerned, their past is not past, that it still clings and haunts, and it hinders their present, and it limits their future potential. And that's rather sad, since God has given us a fresh start, a new beginning. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. All things have become new. And that is a gospel truth. But again, for many, uh, that doesn't seem to happen. It seems to be that their past still catches up with them. For some, it was a betrayal. Somebody used and abused their friendship. For others, perhaps it was a, a deep disillusionment a relationship that they thought would never end, would be forever. But sadly, it did end. Business went bust, firm closed, child rebelled. All kinds of things that happen in our past that sometimes wants to come back and haunt us. And Satan wants to forever remind you of all the negatives of your past, whereas God wants to remind you today of all the positives of your future. Jeremiah talked about that, didn't he? Jeremiah said that God has wonderful plans for us. They're plans for good, not for evil, to give us a hope and a future. David had lots of negatives in his past. He had plenty of regrets. He had quite a few failures. And one of the greatest was, of course, with his adultery with Bathsheba. And if that wasn't bad enough, subsequent to that, he plotted and he planned and carried out the death of her husband, Uriah the Hittite. That's a big skeleton to have rattling around in your cupboard, isn't it? It's a lot to contend with in the past. You know, David was a great warrior. And he was a great poet, a great songwriter. He was a very skilled and great musician. In fact, he was the greatest king that Israel ever had. But sadly, he wasn't a great father. In fact, as a father, he failed over and over again. There was a time whenever Amnon, who was one of his sons, actually raped one of his daughters, Tamar. And this was a half-brother, half-sister situation. Uh, both had the same father, but different mothers. 
And Amnon forced and had his way with his half-sister. And when David heard about it, he was very angry, the Bible says. But he didn't do anything about it. Nothing. Didn't speak to them. Didn't deal with it. No discipline, no punishment involved. And when Absalom, who was Tamar's full brother, whenever he heard about it, he said to his sister, don't worry about it. Don't make a fuss. Just get on with life. Even though she was broken and crushed and humiliated. But even though Absalom said that to his sister, but in his heart... He already had begun to plot and to plan a way to kill Amnon. It was just a matter of time. He would take his revenge because he had humiliated his dear sister. And two years later, he did take his revenge. And he got his servants to kill Amnon. And once that happened and the word went back to David... Absalom fled into a neighboring country. For three years, he stayed there. And during all of that three years, even though the Bible says that David missed him, but he never sent for him. Not one time. No message went out to his son. Joab, one of David's great generals, knowing how David felt, he engineered a way to finally get David to send for Amnon or to send for Absalom to come back. And after three years, he sent word for Absalom to return. And Absalom did return. But you know what David did then? He refused to see him. He refused even to speak to him. And for the next two years, David lived in his palace Absalom lived in his house, <clears throat> and they never even met. And then after five years, without speaking to his son, without looking at his son, without meeting him, after five years, finally, at last, the two of them met, and they embraced and they kissed. But it was too late, because by that time, Absalom really had despised his father and was planning a coup to take over his kingdom and actually rose up to do that very thing. What a disaster. What a dysfunctional household. What regrets, what failures, what mistakes. And then Ahithophel, who was Bathsheba's grandfather, Whenever Absalom rose up against David, he rose up against David. He had been winning his opportunity. And he was David's confidant. He was David's close friend. And he became a betrayer and a traitor. He was the one that David said in one of the Psalms, my own familiar friend has risen up as heel against me. We took sweet counsel together. We went to the house of the Lord together, but now he's risen up against me. So here's a man with a lot of things to regret in life, a lot of things that would come back to haunt him. And not only that, there was one time he decided to number Israel. God warned him not to do it, but he did it. And because of that, 70,000 
of his people died. Yet in spite of that, in spite of that terrible past and all of his mistakes and all of his faults and failures as a parent, God hadn't finished with him. And he still had a future. In Psalm 89, which is a psalm of Ethan, says a contemplation of Ethan the Ezrathite. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. I have made my covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David. Your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. Verse 24, but my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him. And in my name his horn shall be exalted. Also I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. And he shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, the rock of my salvation. Also I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My mercy, I will keep him forever. And my covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also I will make to endure forever. And in verse 34, my covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn, sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever and his throne is the sun before me. It will be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. And so in spite of all of his past and all of his failures and faults and sins and all of that, there was still a future for David. Peter so misunderstood Christ's ministry that Jesus actually turned around publicly and rebuked him. Can you imagine being publicly rebuked by the Son of God? How humiliating that must have been. Get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> eh? Imagine saying that publicly. Peter, Satan is speaking through you to me, and I'm not having it. What a rebuke. And of course, he failed the master spectacularly, didn't he, at Jesus' trial. Of course, Jesus had warned him that that was going to happen. Luke 22 and verse 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. And when you have returned, strengthen your brethren. Jesus knew Peter better than he knew Peter. Better than Peter knew Peter. And he knew he was going to fail him. He knew how, he knew when, he knew where. And Peter couldn't see it. Didn't want to believe it. Felt too confident, too self-assured, too proud. 
that very, very shortly after Jesus spoke those words, after he prophesied those words, Peter failed him massively. But did you notice that Jesus did not only prophesy failure to Peter, but he gave him a great promise. And that great promise was, was that he would return and he would strengthen his brethren. And didn't that happen? In spite of the greatest failure of his life, in spite of that blot in his past, <laughs> he went on to be that great, mighty preacher of the gospel in the book of Acts. His first sermon saw those thousands and thousands coming to Christ. The genealogy of Christ, it boasts four women in Matthew chapter 1. But two of them were adulteresses. Bathsheba, of course, that we talked about a moment ago. And Tamar, another Tamar. Judas, daughter-in-law. And I, Genesis 28. And it's one of the... In fact, I wouldn't even know you're going to read it. It's a horrible chapter. <laughs> Terrible. Hardly believe it. And yet it happened. Rahab was a prostitute, a harlot. There was only one of the four women who were virtuous, and that was Ruth. But she was a Moabite. So in spite of all of their failures, in spite of all of their backgrounds, in spite of all of the, the terrible things that were done, here they are in Matthew chapter 1, and they ended up in the genealogy of Christ himself. So what am I saying this morning? I'm saying that your past doesn't have to determine your future. That your past can be past and can be put in the past. Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 22 telling his story here, here, giving his testimony again. Chapter 22 of Acts. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. When they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they all kept the more silent. And he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our fathers, the law, and was zealous towards God, as you are today. And I persecuted this way, that is Christians, that is, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Did you notice that? Of course, the one that stands out is the, is the stoning of Stephen, which he talks about in a moment. But notice here, he had been doing this for quite a while, both men and women, delivering them into prisons. And also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders from whom I received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to, to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus about noon. Suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. 
and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Notice that he didn't say, I am the Lord, or I am the Son of God, or I am the Most High. I am Jesus of Nazareth, that despised name among the Jews. That name that would be on Saul of Tarsus' lips often, that Jesus of Nazareth, how he hated him with a passion, and all who took up his name. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you would be told all things which were appointed for you to do. And this was an absolute life-changing moment in the life of Saul of Tarsus. Instantly, in a moment of time, he was undone before a holy God and saw his life and saw his past and saw what he'd been doing. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. And a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, he came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the same hour I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witnesses to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. Paul said, I was the chief of sinners, not worthy to be called an apostle, because when he looked back and he saw all that he had done against Christ and against his church, but now the Lord says, you're forgiven. You're cleansed. Your past is past. And even though Saul could remember it, and even though he could share in his testimony, as many do to this day, sharing their testimony about their past, but no longer had a hold on him. He was not able to go forward in God and Christ and become the great apostle Paul. Genesis 32, will not turn to it, Jacob, that schemer, that liar, that deceiver, the one who lied to his father to get his brother's birthright. He didn't have to do any of it. He and his mother didn't have to get together to find a way because the old guy was dying. God had already promised the birthright to him. Even though he was a younger and naturally wouldn't get it, but God had promised it. If only they had a trusted God, if only they had a patient wait in God, but they didn't. And caused a lot of hurt and pain and misery within the whole family. And Jacob had to take off because Esau wanted to kill him. He had to take off 
and live away from home for over 20 years. Then eventually on the way back, the word came back that Esau was coming out to meet him with 400 men and fear gripped his heart. He thought, this is it, I'm done for. And so he had a plan. He says, I tell you what, we'll divide up all my goats and all my sheep and all my cattle and I'll send some of them on ahead with my people. And then when Esau sees that and says, who are these? Say, this is your brother Jacob. He sent this as a present. Try to kill him off a little bit. Calm him down. And if that doesn't work, then when I come, I'll have more with me. But you know, whenever he did meet Esau, he needn't have bothered. Esau hugged him and embraced him. Because Esau had changed somewhat from the last time he had met him. You know, but whenever he was parked at Jabbok, whenever he wanted to lie down to sleep that night, the angel of the Lord came and began to wrestle with him. And he wrestled with him till it was nearly daybreak. The angel of the Lord says, let me go. The daybreak's coming. And he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He says, what is your name? He says, my name is Jacob. Supplanter, cheat, deceiver, because that's all what it means. He said, no longer will you be called Jacob, but you will be called Israel, a prince with God, because you have prevailed with God and you have prevailed with men. The angel had to hit him in the hollow of his thigh and make him lame to get him to let go. That was how determined he was to be blessed. So in spite of all of that background, the Lord came and said, I'm going to change your name and I'm going to make you a prince in Israel. Moses had had faults, didn't he? Not many, but he had. He lost his temper and he struck the rock twice. All he had to do was speak to it. Must we fetch water out of this rock, you rascal juice? <laughs> if you had two million people gurning at you night and day, <laughs> I think you'd get angry too. And after all those years, 40 years, of people whinging at him, he lost his temper and he had the rock twice. Meekest man that ever lived, and yet he lost his temper. He wasn't able to take them into the promised land because of that. Abraham, Genesis 20, lied about his wife. Not a good thing to do, sure it's not. His wife Sarah, I mean she was old, but she was absolutely beautiful. She must have been stunning looking because Abimelech, the king of Gerar, fancied her. I mean she's an old woman, but she must have been absolutely fabulous looking. And because Abraham thought, well, he's a king, he'll kill me, thinking this is my wife and take her, so I'll say, it's my sister, at least I'll be spared. Do you know what? She lied too, says he's my brother. So the king took her. In the middle of the night, God sent him a dream, gave him a dream. And the dream was basically, I'll paraphrase, if you lay a finger on her, I'll kill you. <laughs> you can read that. That's basically what God said to him. That's that man's wife, and he's a prophet. So if you touch her, you're a dead man. 
king got up that morning and he sent for Abraham. He said, you lied to me. You put my life in danger. How humiliating would that be? Imagine lying about your wife like that. Mary Magdalene, she had seven devils. James and John, sons of thunder, Jesus called them, angry men, bigoted men, racist, hated the Samaritans, said we're going to call fire down from heaven and burn the whole lot of them up. Imagine that. Two preachers wanting to burn people up. And yet in spite of that, in spite of all of that in their past, time God had finished with them, they became mighty apostles. Mighty apostles. What about the mistakes of your past? Henry Ford, the first car he ever built, forgot to put a reverse gear in it. Wasn't very smart, sure it wasn't. <laughs> you just have to go around in circles. <laughs> you think he'd be smarter than that, wouldn't you? Well, he caught himself on and he made sure the next one he built had reverse gears in it. And the rest is history, isn't it? Remember one time listening to an interview on TV with a man called Victor Kayam. Victor Kayam was a very wealthy man and he bought out Remington Ravers, Ravers, Shavers. Shavers, electric shavers. Guaranteed your money back if you're not satisfied, if it wasn't a close enough shave. He said, uh, he's asked, he said, interviewer said, did you ever make any uh, mistakes in business? What was your biggest mistake? Oh, he says, that's easy. I was offered the, the rights to the whole Northern Hemisphere for Velcro. And he says, I turned it down. I said, it'll never cut you off. Excuse the pun. He says, what a mistake. <laughs> he says, I would have been a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. And he says, I turned it down. Had it, in my gra- had it in my hands to do. Offered to me and said, no, it'll never catch on. What a mistake. Thomas Edison. Boy, he was a trier. After his plant burnt down, we did all of his experiments he called out his wife and children. And as it was going up in smoke, he said, Look, there goes all my mistakes. <laughs> what an attitude. And he started all over again. And just three months later, he invented the phonograph, the greatest invention, he says, he ever made. For he says that was the only invention he ever made that was truly his. He says the rest was other people's ideas that had discarded them, and I picked up on them and made them work. But he says the phonograph was, he said, what in the words, a phonograph? The phonograph was the f- first thing to record, and that went on for, to, to record like discs and LPs and EPs that these young ones, you know them as MP3 today. If Edison hadn't invented the phonograph, you wouldn't have had your MP3, you wouldn't have had your little iPods and things. But you see, after all these mistakes... He began all over again. What about the hurts of the past? Has anybody in here never been hurt in your past? Could I see your hand? I didn't think so. All of us have suffered hurts in our past. But you've got to find a way to let your past be past. You've got to find a way to let your past be past. 
Because if you don't, otherwise you'll keep continually going back to it and living in it. So we have to learn to release them. What about the sins of our past? Isaiah 43 says he blots them out. Isaiah 55 says he abundantly pardons our sins. Isaiah 52 says he bore them away. Isaiah 6 and 7, he purges them. Isaiah 38, he casts our sins behind his back. Jeremiah 31, he remembers them no more against us forever. Isn't that a good verse? He remembers them no more against us forever. Psalm 103, he removes them from us as far as the east is to the west. Micah 7, 9, he casts our sins into the sea. And Corrie Ten Boom says, put up a sign, no fishing. We want to fish them out again, don't we? Paul says in Philippians 3, 13, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. Hard to reach forward unless you deal with the past, isn't it? It's hard to live forward if you're living backwards. I'm going to close. At the back of some very old maps of Jamaica are inscribed these words, the land of look behind. And the reason why they recalled that is because in those days, slavery was rampant in Jamaica. And oftentimes slaves would break free and they would run to the mountains. But the government would send their troops after them. And that's why the slaves that ran to the mountains were always looking over their shoulder. They were always looking back to see who was following them. And so the area, the mountain area, became known as the land of look behind. Don't live in the land of look behind. Don't forever keep looking back to something that's already been dealt with, that's under the blood, that's gone as far as God is concerned. You have truly, truly repented of it. Or if it's something that happened to you that wasn't your fault, you can't unscramble eggs. There's nothing more you can do about it. You have to let it go and allow God to help you into the future. The wonderful thing about the gospel is that it gives us a whole new future to look forward to. And it deals with our past and gives us a bright hope for better days to come. And that's the wonderful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't it? That a man or a woman can get their past to be past. And they can begin again afresh in Christ. Let's pray. Bless you, Lord. Lord, we take these few moments before we
have communion, but we take these few moments just to stop and give you thanks for this new life in Christ. Lord, we could stop and think, where would we be today without you? But we bless you and give you thanks that we're not without you today. That we are in Christ Jesus, sons and daughters. Thank you for this new life. Thank you for the blessings. Thank you for a future that's in your hands. Thank you for all eternity that lies before us and for the blessings that you have planned. So we stop and we say thank you, Lord, for every mercy, for every good gift that's from above. In Jesus' name.